Well, good morning. Morning. How's everyone doing this this morning, not evening? Feels like evening to me. Um, well, I just my name is Tyler. I'm the student ministries pastor around here, and I get to share with you guys this morning. Um, and I just want to also extend the invite to these trellis and a vine uh, building God's way updates. Uh, we have one tonight at 6:30, and as the Student ministries pastor, I get excited about this kind of stuff because we want to build up the trellis in order for the vine to grow, including for what the next generations look like here at Hillcrest as well. So I just want to extend that invite to you. 6.30 will be in this room, um, and we will be talking about that. But if you have been with us here, we've been talking in the book of Luke, and we have are in our second section of the book excuse me, we're in the second section of the book called The Teachings of the King. And this section has followed Jesus as he started his ministry. He started teaching and preaching to his disciples and those who are around him and have been talking about what the kingdom of God looks like. And the question we've been asking ourselves during this section is, what is shaping you? What is shaping you? Because we are being shaped and formed and taught something every single moment of every single day, whether we believe that or not. We're being taught something. And I, whether that's from your Instagram and Twitter feeds, which I, I don't take part in that. I try to stay away from that stuff. And, or whatever TV show you're watching, like The Mandalorian, Right? You're being formed and shaped to say this is the way, right, in that show. Or in movies that you've been enjoying lately, you're being taught something from that as well. And I am also seeing this even in the life of my five-month-old. All right, that's Caleb. Um, He looks like all the great features of his mother. Um, People don't believe that when I say that, but I do. I hope he gets everything from his mother instead of me. But... We are seeing in his life that he too is being formed. He too is being shaped and influenced by how he sees us. When he sees us smile, he smiles. We're influencing him by what he sees, what he looks at, right? Even how he looks at different toys. As you can see there on the left, he is staring a hole through old McDonald. (laughs) Staring a just a hole. I don't think he blinked. And then, but the one that is the most eye-opening to us as new parents with a five-month-old is that he is so drawn and sucked into anything that has a screen. Anything that has a screen, a phone, TV, computer, you name it, he is burning a hole through it with those, that stare. Okay? And, and I don't know if that, it's fascinating and also scary all at the same time, right? I just, anyway, I'm just feeling that. But even are seeing how those screens could be used to influence and shape and form the young mind of my son, right, as well. But we ask this question of what is shaping you in this section because it's meant for us to look at our own lives and be challenged to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him shape us. Let him form us. Let him influence us. And this is what we have been, over the past few weeks, been talking about. We've been talking about Luke's account of the Sermon on the Plain, 
where we have heard some pretty radically upside down teachings of what the kingdom of God looks like. The first week, we saw the Beatitudes, and, and Jesus flipped the way that we even look at the view of the kingdom. It's for everyone. Even the people we have written off, the spiritual zeros in our lives. Then we see Christ instruct us to, to love our enemies and not judge others. And then we see Christ instruct us to, like, and tells us what the life of a Christian looks like. And that's a tree that bears fruit. And we've been opening a text line for you all to text in questions uh, to that. You can text JOIN to that 888 number. I feel like it's like a, a general commercial or whatever. 888. No, I'm sorry. Anyways, I got to bring it together here. But today, Jesus ends the sermon. He's ending the sermon on the plain with this teaching. Build your house upon the rock. And that's in chapter 6 of verse, in verses 46 and 49. So if you have a Bible, if you don't, grab one from the seat back in front of you. Or like David likes to joke, the overhead bin, right? Grab your Bible, open up to Luke 6, 46 to 49. And we're going to read that before we dive in. This is what it says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? All right, Jesus. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built the house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Some heavy things from Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful and thankful that we get to sit in a room and hear from you from your word. And so, God, I pray as we hear from you directly this morning, that we would let this soak in to all aspects of our lives. And may we be challenged to find a deeper foundation in who you are and in what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to focus on today, this is the big idea I want us to focus on. Jesus is abundantly clear that those truly in God's kingdom are marked by a deep foundation built by hearing and doing what he teaches. They're marked by a deep foundation built by hearing and doing what he teaches. And Jesus is ending the Sermon on the Plain here, like I said. And I imagine almost like a boxer in a boxing fight, in a boxing match, right? I think Jesus is kind of has that same mentality. You guys ever seen Rocky or Creed, right? These are, these are good movies. Rocky, love it. Rocky Four is my favorite one because he goes and he fights Ivan Drago in Russia, right? And I just like, come on, Rocky. And he pulls out the victory. But then Creed Two, it picks up the story and Ivan Drago's kid comes back and boxes Adonis Creed. Uh, anyway, all right, I'm getting way off the rails. Sorry. 
I'm a big fan of these movies. They're great boxing movies. But every good boxer comes into a fight with a combination of punches that they have in mind that they're wanting to produce a knockout, right? They train this, and Rocky and Creed do these wonderful depictions of the training process of the combinations of punches, right? And Jesus, I think, is doing the same thing here. He's given us a couple pretty stiff left jabs during this Sermon on the Plain. And I think today, he's trying to end the fight. I think today, he's going for the knockout with an uppercut. And so this is where we're going to go to break down the text today. This is where we're going to go. The first thing we're going to look at is the question that is asked on the front end of that um, passage. And, th- and the weight that that, car- that question carries in our lives. And then we'll see the promise for those that have found a deep foundation. And then finally, we're going to see a warning to those that don't and don't have a foundation at all. But let's set the stage for a moment. You are one of the disciples. And there's me way off on the left with my big old head. All right, you are one of the disciples. And you're there listening to Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, right? You're there. And he says, Love your enemies. Be merciful. Judge not. And then if you're a good tree, you will bear good fruit in your lives. That's what he says. And I can imagine myself being there on that plane and almost kind of feeling a weight in my heart and kind of this tension. I'm hearing it. And I can imagine myself in my head just kind of going, really, Jesus? You want me to do that? Jesus you, don't, Jesus, you don't get it. Jesus, I just feel the weight in that moment. You don't get it. Love my enemy like the Roman soldiers who have mistreated me and my family for years. Love them? Judge not. Like, you mean the tax collectors that are over in that tax collector section over here? in the Sermon on the Plain, they're over there. Jesus, they're traitors. You don't want me to judge them? You don't, to condemn them? You don't, Jesus, you don't get it. And I can feel my heart, and I can feel the disciples' hearts here kind of wrestling with that. And then Jesus has a response to that. And that's verse 46. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? You feel that? Jesus claps back at these guys. He says that his followers need to hear these teachings, think differently, live differently, feel differently. And I think sometimes when we when we read these verses and we see these kind of questions that Jesus gives to his disciples, we tend to separate ourselves from that. We tend to separate ourselves from that and instead go, yeah, Jesus, get those disciples. They're the knucklehead jabronis, get them. What I want us to do today is instead of separate ourselves from this question, I want us to take a step into it. 
Because this cutting question today is a sobering one from Jesus. So the question is this. Do you call me Lord or not? That's the question that he asks. Do you call me Lord or not? And that's the question posed to us at the beginning of the section today. And and I don't want to breeze past it. Jesus cuts all the way down to the root. Do you see that? He's cutting all the way down to the deep foundation, some may say, of what this life of faith looks like. And your answer to this question changes the entire trajectory of your life, here, now, and eternally. And it also is going to change the direction about how these verses land on you today. Because if you claim Jesus as your Lord, if you say yes and you obey what he teaches in your head, in your heart, in your hands, we're going to see that there's a promise that's given. And those are in verses verses 47 and 48. But then there's the other side of it. If you claim Jesus as Lord and you do not obey what he teaches in all aspects or you don't claim Jesus as Lord at all, there's a clear warning. That's in verse 49. So that's heavy, right? (laughs) That's where Jesus is leading us and ending the sermon on the plane with. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with this question. Jesus does a beautiful job at this. He sometimes will throw these like questions and then goes, and let me tell you what it's like. And he says, here's this parable to help you see what this is like. And so we're going to continue with verses 47 and 48 to talk about this illustration of what this looks like. He says in verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So the first illustration we see from Jesus in this parable is that of a house. That is built on the rock, the one with a deep foundation. So the first question is, what's the rock? What's the rock? So the first question is, what's the rock? Was it God's word? Was it Jesus himself that he's referring? Was it Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Can you smell what he's cooking, my friends? What is the rock, is the question. What does the text say? Let's look at verse 47. Let's look at verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. The rock is hearing and doing the words and the teachings of Jesus. But, what, but which teachings? Is it just, it's the whole Bible, right? I think sometimes we tend to rip, like we tend to separate ourselves from the question. I think we tend to rip these verses out of the context in which Jesus has placed them. So let's reinsert it into the context. 
Where, what is he talking about? It's at the end of the Sermon on the Plain. So what teachings or words is Jesus saying that we need to be living out? He actually says a lot. This is what the whole Sermon on the Plain has been teaching us. Think differently about this kingdom. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who oppose you. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Before removing specks, inspect yourself. Be merciful as God has been merciful. That's the rock that he's talking about, that he wants our faith and life to be founded upon. To do those things. So in order to be my followers, Jesus says, in order to be my disciples, you need to think differently about this kingdom. You feel differently because he he is actually modeling to you a new definition of what love and mercy looks like. And then live differently to show that spiritual transformation in your everyday life. So if that's the rock to which our house of faith is to be built, what's the promise if we build it upon that? Jesus continues, and he says this in verse 48. This is what he says. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The promise is that it could not be shaken. The promise that Jesus gives is one that's profound and beautiful. He's saying that the floods or the trials and sufferings that rise against you in life, that's what my primary interpretation is when I read this, is trials and suffering. That when that happens against us in our life, if we're rooted and planted and founded on Jesus, we will not be shaken. But, don't get it twisted. I do think these verses have huge eternal ramifications as well. Just because I think the primary thing he's talking about is suffering and our everyday life, I do think he is saying there's so much more eternally that's happening here too. There's a promise that we can have true assurance, hope, peace, eternally, that comes from being deeply founded on Christ's teachings. But the question then becomes, for me, what does that look like? What does it look like then to be deeply rooted? What's it look like then to have this promise, to have received this promise? Jesus also describes it as well. He says it's deep and well-built. Deep and well-built. And I'm just going to show you where it says that in the verses because I don't want to be not saying what the scripture is saying. It says deep and well-built. Okay, all right, sweet. You're with me, you're with me. So Jesus says that a life built on what he teaches is a deep one. And using the framework we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? We've been talking about this if you've been here. Thinking leads to feeling, which leads to doing. Okay, so... That's what I think depth looks like in our lives. 
when we have all three aspects in line with Christ. So instead of this life of faith being something that is about just head knowledge, thinking, or just obedience on the other end, or just feelings, it's just like however it feels, man, right? It is about all three. It's about deep thoughts about who this God is. Deep feelings and emotions of joy about what he has done for your life, for you. Especially on the cross. <laughs> and then deep obedience to live out what he is teaching us to do. That is depth. All three of those things. So we also see then that Jesus says it looks like a well built life, a well-built house. It is one that is built and set up with the expectation in mind that there will be a flood. Let me say that again. It's set up with expectation that there will be a flood. Not if there will be a flood, will be a flood in our lives. That we will suffer. <laughs> And experience trials in our lives, whether big or small. And when I see the words well built, I think of structural integrity, of a, of, or in structural engineering. And this is my house that I grew up in, that I grew up in. And no, my parents don't live there anymore, so don't try to find this in Minnesota, okay? But I think about this because sometimes when you walk into houses with realtors, and my parents did this when they sold this house, sometimes you'll hear from realtors, and I don't see, I don't see Jason here, so I was just going to see like, hey, Jason, is this what you say? Um, but we are starting the process in our life, too, of looking for houses, and a realtor will say, this house has good bones. Ever heard that before? This house has good bones. And what they are talking about is that the structural integrity of the house is good. I Meaning it's got a good foundation, it's got good support trusses, it's got, it's got good support. And what they're ultimately trying to say is that it's going to stand the test of time. So no matter what, baseball or a foot goes through a window, which happened in this house, many a times, and there was three boys and one bathroom, so imagine that life. And I think it was that back left window that my foot went through. Um, <laughs> Besides the point, it's a story for a different day. Um, no matter what storm or flood or whatever may happen, the house is going to stand. And I think Jesus is trying to get us to think deeply about our own faith. What is that built upon? And ask the question, is it well built? Will it withstand when the trials happen? Do those things shake me? Or is it well built? Now we have seen a question, a promise, and now Jesus ends the sermon on the plane with this nice little hug. Not really. It's the warning. We see that in verse 49. See it in verse 49. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. 
Jesus warns us that hearing and not doing what we are taught from Christ sets ourselves up for failure. It sets ourselves up for failure. Look at the end of verse 49. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When the stream broke against the house, the devastation was immediate, and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus' warning is clear. If there is no foundation, we can expect ruin. That's sobering. When the trials and suffering come our way, we will not be able to muster enough willpower to stand. We will not be able to gain more head knowledge about the storm and then maybe figure out a way to get around the storm. If we do not allow Jesus' words to penetrate our head, our hearts, and our hands, we will not stand. That's what Jesus says. But what does that look like? I think it looks, Jesus is clear here that it looks like it doesn't have a foundation at all. It doesn't have a foundation at all. And I can see some of your faces, especially those who have built stuff or engineers or, you know, construction people. I can see you start thinking and going, getting a little uncomfortable, even thinking about the idea of building something without a good foundation. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. (laughs) It sets yourself up for failure down the line with whatever it is that you're building. And that is what living a life hearing Christ's teachings and not living them out looks like too. Set up for failure. When the moment of trial hits, when my wife's brakes this past week went out in her car and then we took it to the mechanic shop and didn't realize how big of a check that would be, (laughs) does that shake me? That's what Jesus is asking. When those things happen that we're not expecting to happen, does it shake you? Because we may be set up for failure. Here's an example that I remember from when I was a kid back in Minnesota. Back in August of 2007, it was a normal day. Oops, let me get to that slide. There we go. It was a normal day on the I-35W bridge in Minneapolis. I see some people shaking their heads. Maybe they know where I'm going with this. It was a normal day in Minneapolis. It was rush hour traffic in the middle of traffic, and there was construction because it was summertime. And that's just what happens in the upper Midwest, right? There was construction on the bridge. And there was bumper-to-bumper traffic. Everyone's trying to get home from work. And instantly... Devastation. The bridge collapsed. Thirteen people died. Many were trapped. There was a school bus, 52 kids that were going, that were on their bus route, um, that were rescued from the wreckage. There was complete devastation and ruin. And I was in eighth grade at this time, and I lived in Minnesota. And I remember thinking about my aunts and my uncles who lived in the Twin Cities area, and they went across that bridge every single day. Thankfully, thankfully, they were home when this happened. Praise God, right? But it was devastation that took place that day when that bridge collapsed. And the government did an investigation. 
to try and figure out what had happened. Why did this bridge, which is the busiest bridge in the Twin Cities area, which had thousands of cars driving over it, why did it collapse in that moment? Why did it choose? They didn't choose that, but why did it happen? And this is what the National Transportation Safety Board said. It was structurally deficient. It was deemed as fracture critical. And it had a design flaw. It was set up to fail. And this quote, actually, this didn't happen after the bridge collapsed. This happened before. It was set up to fail. So that day, there was the added weight and pressure of construction materials that were on top that exasperated a foundational problem, which caused devastation. And I believe Jesus is giving us that exact same warning this morning. Is your foundation structurally deficient? Is it fracture critical? Have you designed it with a flaw? Because when the added pressures and trials of life come to weigh down our bridge, when those brakes go out in my wife's car, and that's just a menial thing, but there's so much more that that could be. You can think of those examples. When that stuff weighs you down, Jesus says that if it is not founded on his teachings, if it's not founded on thinking, feeling, and living differently, it will collapse. Not only in our life here on this earth, but also eternally too. And so what I want us to do then is I want us to look at our foundations. And so as we close our time in the text today, I want us to look at our own faith. I want us to examine our own foundations. And I want to equip you with maybe a tool to help you with that. In your Monday to Saturday, some evaluative questions that you can ask yourself to get to the root of things. And it, and it also comes from a pastor um, and author, Jeff Vanderstelt, who, who talks about this fruit-to-root idea. So over the past two weeks, we've talked about the fruit-to-root way of thinking. G, or, uh, David has talked about it a couple of times. But it's to examine some of the fruit that's happening in our lives. And, we, and around here, we think that's feelings and behaviors. We think that's an emotional thing that comes out of us, too, that are fruit. And then I want us to look deeper and find out what thoughts or beliefs that maybe those fruits are rooted in. What's the foundation behind that? So if we look at some of the fruit in our lives, here are the three questions that are going to take us from fruit to root. Okay, three questions. Question number one, who am I? Who am I? The question is, talking, is taking a deeper look at what you believe about yourself. And so I'm going to let you into my life a little bit as I was processing this this week. The example of my anger. Okay? 
A lot of you that know me probably think, what anger? Well, it's there. And let's find the root of it. Welcome to my session. In order to go deeper about where this anger is coming from, I had to ask myself, what am I believing about myself? Who am I? And I discovered that I'm believing when I'm angry that I'm misunderstood. And when I'm misunderstood by someone, the root behind that is that I had to prove my worth to them. And that's why I had this anger bubble out of me to prove my worth. And then there's a second question that comes after that to take a step deeper. And a lot of times our world is really good at this. Our world sticks to this question. That's self-esteem, that's self-worth work, right? And they sometimes stay there. But what I want us to do is bridge the gap then, not just about what we think about ourselves, self-oriented analysis, but let's look at what we think about God and how that is rooted in this too. So the second question then becomes... And it shifts our focus to God with what has God done? And this shifts to how we think and view God's work in our lives. Ultimately, what Jesus did on the cross. How do we view that? And back to my example of anger. I ask myself this. And to be honest, it's that Christ's death wasn't enough. I still need to prove it to others. And I get angry when I'm not understood and I don't get my points across. And if I don't, I begin to be filled with anger towards myself because I'm not worthy. And then angry at others because they're not hearing what I'm saying. Because I'm trying to prove my worth to God. You guys feel the weight of where this, the roots are going? But it doesn't stop there. Here's the next layer, third question. Becomes about the character and nature of who God is. Who is God? Who is God? And in my anger, there's a belief that God is spiteful and angry towards me. He's holding it against me when I don't get it right. He's an unforgiving God. And and I am sinful, and I just I can't get it right. So for me, in order to be worthy, I have to show him and others how knowledgeable I am, how right I am. And when that doesn't happen, I get angry because I'm not deeply rooted and founded in who God is. I want to invite the worship team up, wherever, wherever they're at. Yeah, there we go. Just come on stage like a, yeah, it's kind of cool. Anyways, it's like, a, it's like a flash mob when we do that. All right, sorry. Sorry, I don't want to... Sorry, Jack. You hate that. Anyways. Um, but these questions, I want us to evaluate the root system of our hearts and dig foundationally into the beliefs about who we are and who God is. That's our foundation. And ultimately, as we unearth these thoughts, as I unearth these thoughts, when I asked these questions of my life, I I started seeing 
that the answers that came out of me were not what's true. Instead, our response today is to go humbly before Jesus as we've exposed our roots, turn away from that way of thinking. And as we answer these questions of who I am, what has God done, and who he is, we ask ourselves, is God an angry God? This is me speaking to myself. You're letting in. Is God an angry God? He is a just God. Is he unforgiving? He's a forgiving God. Does he keep a record of my wrongs when I come to him? No. What has he done for me? He's paid for those wrongs upon the cross. For my sins, if I put my faith and hope and trust in him. And how does that inform who I am? I am now a child of God. Built on that foundation. And so what comes out of me? It's deep feelings of joy and deep obedience to what Christ teaches us to do. And so we've been saying this prayer over and over this section, but I think it hits harder today. God, help me listen closely to this stuff. So they reshape me, they renew me, they refound me to know your truth about who I am, who you are, and what you've done for me. And whatever you invite me into today, founded and rooted on his love, his truth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're a God who is so loving and forgiving to us. That no matter what trials we're going through, if we have said yes to do you call me Lord or not, that we will not be shaken by whatever comes our way. But God, I pray as we dig deep into where our roots, where our foundation is, that we would ultimately turn humbly back to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.